Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to another mini episode of Dear Prudence. I'm your host, Danny M. Lavery, and this show is for you, our Plus subscribers. Our guest this week is Charlie Jane Anders, the author of Victories Greater Than Death, the first book in a new young adult trilogy coming in April 2021, along with the forthcoming short story collection, Even Greater Mistakes. She's also the co-host of the podcast, Our Opinions Are Correct, along with Annalie Newitz. And now here's our first letter. Okay, our next letter is just a perennial uh, uh, kind of letter that advice columnists get, and I hope someday we don't because they make me sad. The subject is, I've gained weight and my boyfriend isn't attracted anymore. Dear Prudence, I've been dating my boyfriend for a little over two years. The relationship is overall amazing. He's funny, incredibly handsome, loving, and supportive. Like many others, our sex life has taken a pretty substantial hit over the last year. In addition to COVID, my boyfriend went through unemployment and general anger at the state of the world. He's been doing much better recently, and I had hoped our sex life would pick up again. It hasn't. Recently, I found out why. I've gained weight, and he's no longer attracted to me. I'm devastated. He assures me he still loves me and doesn't want to leave but he doesn't have any ideas how to get back on track other than for me to lose the weight. And while I have gained weight since we started dating, it's been very hard one. I started recovery from my eating disorders about three years ago, and I was finally starting to feel like I was gaining at least a sense of neutrality about my body. At the same time, though, I know the weight gain is my fault, and it's not his fault for losing his attraction to me. I think he feels bad about this admission, as we've had sex more since then than in the previous three months combined. But I just don't want to anymore. I want to cry and hide my body. He suggests that I can get him off instead, but I don't exactly feel in the mood to do that. It just makes me feel like his fat sex toy and not in a hot way. How do I get past this? Other than losing the weight, which I'm trying to do, but it's just so triggering. How can I bring the spark back? I'm trying to work through this with my therapist, but I just don't know how to go forward from here. Oh, man. I want to cry too yeah. now. That's just, oh my triggering God. Triggering is right. I like Triggering. Oh my whew. God. I just want to stop, yeah, and kind of pause for a second before I think about how I want to talk to this letter writer because... I also really, really want to be able to speak to her like in respect to her current emotional position. And I don't want to like overwhelm her with a lot of my affect mm-hmm. um, or kind of come in like guns blazing, like give me your address so that I can set your boyfriend on fire because it's pretty clear that she's in a position right now of feeling protective of him, guilty about herself. Um, and And I don't want to potentially alienate her by saying, please, again, tell me where you live so that I can set him on fire. I won't, I won't threaten to set him on fire anymore. That's my last one. Yeah, my heart just breaks for this letter writer. I mean, you know, especially when she mentions that she has only 
spent only been in recovery from an eating disorder for three years. And, you know, connecting the dots, she started dating this guy two years ago. So basically, you know, shortly after recovering from her eating disorder. And, you know, it just, it sounds like he's, he knows, he must know that this is a huge, you know, sensitive, painful issue for her. And he is still willing to, I'm trying to say this delicately because I also don't want to be like set him on fire, but you know, he is saying the thing that he knows is the most hurtful thing he could possibly say to her mm-hmm. and then putting her in a position where she feels guilty basically for existing and for being a, a person in the world. Yeah. And I think that's a really useful place to start. Yeah. I mean, it just, it, it really does actually make me want to cry. And like, it just makes me, it makes me so upset that I'm also having a hard time keeping a, a very neutral affect talking about it. It just, it feels like, you know, the, everything about it, the whole like, well, you can get me off instead. It's just, it feels like he's making her responsible for his sexual pleasure, but taking no responsibility for her, you know, self-esteem or for her self-worth or her right to exist as a person in the world. It just, it feels like an incredibly one-sided dynamic. I kind of get the feeling reading between the lines that during that period when he was unemployed and angry at the world, she was doing a lot of taking care of him. That's not something that she says, but I just kind of come away with that feeling. And that maybe this is a relationship in which, you know, one person is expected to give more than the other person. And that's, again, she does say that he's supportive, but then she kind of says a bunch of stuff that makes him sound not supportive. Yeah, I I wanted to say, like, he may very well be funny. He may very well be handsome. I really want to complicate and challenge those last two attributes that you want to assign to him, that he's loving and supportive. And I think for me, the place that I feel prepared to start with that is, um, I let's reject his premise. You know, his premise is, gosh, I wish this weren't the way, but when somebody gains weight, it just naturally kills their partner's libido. There's nothing that can be done about that. I wish it weren't the case, but gaining weight just, um, it just makes you unattractive. It just does. That's universally true. Nothing to be done about it. Um, we can lie to each other about it to try to spare each other's feelings, but that doesn't really get us anywhere. Uh, I'm sorry it had to come to this, but I just can't think of any other solutions other than for you to lose the weight. Sorry about your eating disorder. Hope it doesn't get too triggering. Or you can just blow me and uh, put a paper bag over your body. Um, that's bullshit. It is. It's, it's just bullshit. It's a thousand percent bullshit. I, like, and I just like, I just really want to stress. Like, it's actually just not that hard. Fat people are hot. Yeah, I mean, fat a lot people of fat are lovers. Hot. Fat people are beautiful and sexy. I'm fat. And like, it's wonderful. it's fun. Flesh is good. Bodies are good. Skin's good. Jiggling's good. Moving's good. Pushing's good. Pulling's good. Fat's hot. It's just not that hard. I always find it like a little ridiculous when someone's like, oh no, they put on weight. What am I going to do? And it's just like, I don't know. Have you tried licking it? <laughs> have you tried you just know? like loving your partner and, you know, appreciating, you know, everything about her, including her size and everything else? I mean, it's just, you know. Yeah. 
fucking touch it. Fucking grab it. Look at it. Smear some oil on it. Like move it around against your body. Like your partner lives in a body. Like get in the get in the fucking mix with your partner's body. Yeah. I really let a writer think that it's really important not to accept this premise that he's bringing to you, which is like obviously gaining weight is disgusting and it makes sex unpleasant and a chore. And I don't really know what to do. I can throw you a bone, but if you don't like my sort of like obvious contempt as I go through the motions of fucking you while avoiding certain parts of your body and like signaling in other direct and indirect ways that I'm thinking about your old body, um, it, I get, is that not fun for you? Are you not having a good time? Then yeah, I guess you could either jerk me off or um, I don't know, you come up with an idea. That's cruel. It's cruel. It's, it's really unimaginative. Cruel. It's, it's stupid. Yeah, I mean, this person needs to find someone who appreciates her and loves her for who she is and for, you know, without putting conditions on it, without, you know, and who finds her attractive as herself, as her, you know, and is able to, you know, appreciate her beauty and her, you know, all the work that she's done. She's obviously done a lot of work to get past this eating disorder and to love herself. And to be sabotaged like that is just, it's its an unbelievably cruel. And yeah. there are and millions I, of people out there who will appreciate her and who will find her attractive and beautiful and sexy and who will, mm-hmm. you know, who won't put that kind of fat phobic bullshit on her. Yeah. And even if it takes a little while to find one or some of those people, it would be better to be single than to be dealing with this bullshit. I think again, too, there's something kind of fundamentally anti-sex about his position. Like, I don't love necessarily using this kind of gendered language, but it strikes me as such a little bitch move (laughs) of just like, oh no, a weight gain of a few pounds. Well, sex isn't fun anymore. Like, again, to me, there's such contempt for the body in that. It's like, wow, you must really not like to fuck, huh? Like, it kind of scares you, doesn't it? Like, if it's that easy for you to be like, oh no, my my libido, it's gone. I'm so scared. there's more body than there used to be. What am I going to do? Like, yeah, it's it's sex negative, and it's also just very patriarchal, this idea that, like, basically the woman's job is to be a sex object for her partner and that, you know, she her, her needs and desires are, you know, secondary at best. And mm-hmm. that, you know, getting him off basically is is the goal of the exercise, clearly. Like, this is, you know. Yeah. The, Whatever, you know, however we get to that, however we reach that goal of getting this dude off is is, right. is the thing that we're going to, you know, prioritize. Yeah. And of course, this is triggering. Of course, it is triggering. Like he's telling you, I don't know, I don't have any good ideas. You figure it out. Um, I just need you to know that the idea of having sex with you is pretty like unappealing and boring to me. Um, so you do whatever you have to do to make yourself feel good, but I'm kind of done here. I'm out of ideas. I'm not especially interested in treating your own experiences in your body with curiosity. If you want to cry and hide your body, I guess go for it. Like that is not supportive and that's not loving. Um, you're with someone who knows about your history of eating disorders, who knows that you've been in treatment and who has said to you like, I'm not going to fuck you unless you lose weight, your call, whether or not you want to lose weight and you yourself are currently finding that your eating disorders are being triggered as you attempt to lose weight to make him happy. This is not somebody who cares about your well-being. This is not somebody who cares about your pleasure. This is not somebody who can look at your body 
and see it as something good and something inviting and something that he wants to look at and smell and touch and interact with and like mm-hmm. can get in there and lick your armpits like you're in Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> um, you know, it's just not love. It's not love. It's no. not good love. It's not fun and it's not hot. And I think that if you don't feel prepared to break up with him right now over it because you're feeling really vulnerable and scared, that would make sense to me. At that point, I would encourage you to share with whoever is a part of your recovery team for your eating disorders that you are currently in a state of feeling triggered because your partner has been pressuring you to lose weight. And again, let's just be really clear saying, I don't want to fuck you anymore. You gained a little weight. I don't have any good ideas. You can either jerk me off or lose some weight. Your call. No, no other ideas for me. That's pressure. That's absolutely pressure. Yeah, it's actually kind of abusive. It's this is feels like an abusive situation to me. And yeah, and then the the whole like, oh, it's not my fault. That's just inevitably what happens if anyone gains weight ever. No, that's not. He is pretending to universalize his cruel decision to withhold intimacy and care from you because he wants to punish you for gaining weight. And I think that that is absolutely vile and cowardly. And I have no respect for this man. Yeah, same, for sure. Not going to say anything else about any sort of elements like earth, air, wind, or fire. <laughs> but you deserve so much better than you this. You deserve so much better. You deserve love and affection and desire and pleasure. And, you know, you deserve to be taken care of as much as you take care of your partner. And you you deserve to be with someone who is willing to value you and, you know, appreciate your body. I mean, it's just, that's the bottom line. It's, this is... You deserve better and you will have better. Like, I think that's important. It's not just that you deserve better. You will, there will be better for you. You will find someone better. And even in the meantime, because I don't want to suggest that you'll find somebody else the day after you break up with him, you'll be able to live peacefully in your apartment or your home. And if you need to cry, you'll be able to cry. You'll be able to take care of yourself and you will not have to put yourself through the motions of watching somebody else desperate for signs of a renewed interest for approval of your increasingly restricted, increasingly shrinking, increasingly deprived body. That's That would be better right there. Just a quiet, empty house where you could feel your feelings and live peacefully with yourself. I also realize it's really hard when there's that sort of pressure of, oh, and now on top of all of this, it's my job to feel good about myself all the time. It's my job to like revel in the size of my body um, or have a certain relationship to the word fatness. And I want to say too, letter writer, that might not be a word that you use to describe yourself. You don't say much about how you, you know, I I don't want to say like, you either must or must not think of yourself as fat. I'm not interested in the scale of your weight gain. I don't think that that's important to me in terms of how I answer the question. So if any of the stuff that I was saying earlier about fear of fat felt in itself triggering, I would get that. I hope what I'm just able to communicate to that in that uh, to the letter writer is a sense of even treating like the specter of the possibility of fatness, any increase in size, anything other than constant restriction and shrinkage is bound up in fat phobia. And that's what that is. All right, last letter. Your turn. What a wonderful note to end on. Okay. Subject, too much of the same music. Dear Prudence, there's a certain band my husband listens to daily in our house and our car. He listens to that band for roughly two-thirds of our waking hours. I say that's too much of one band, no matter how good they are. He occasionally uses headphones, but still broadcasts their music frequently during family time. 
we have two kids under 10, one of whom likes that band more than the other. If I play other music, he often tolerates it, but sometimes disparages it and always plays that band afterwards. That band was also his father's favorite band, and his musical obsession surged after his dad died. He reacted to any requests to change up the music with hurt, that I would stop him from doing something that brought him comfort in a painful time. My irritation seemed unimportant when the music filled a hole in his soul. That band has plenty of cool and beautiful music, but the monomania gets me down. Do I have a leg to stand on here? If it's impossible to dial down someone's obsession, should I be stronger about how much of that band is too much? The last time I suggested we listen to something else while that band was playing, my husband was clearly hurt as we, too, have bonded over their songs. I don't want to hurt him, but otherwise, am I just stuck? So, Do you think it makes a difference what band this is? It, it absolutely makes a difference. If it's Earth, Wind, and Fire, I'm like, just listen to as much Earth, Wind, and Fire as possible. If it's like, I don't know, um, Leonard Skinnerd, I may be like, you know, I like Leonard Skinnerd, but, you know, once in a while, not all the time. Um, but that's I will just, say that I've been picturing Steely Dan. Steely Dan. Oh my God, Steely Dan. Wow. Yes, yeah, because it feels like a classic this band energy. You know? Oh man, Steely Dan is one of those bands that, like, once in a while is just delightful. Like once in a blue moon, you're just like, oh, Steely Dan, that's like lovely. And then you're like, now I don't need to listen to Steely Dan for a while. We actually we had a long conversation about Steely Dan recently. We had like a whole Steely Dan processing session, you and I. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm going to preface anything I might say about this with the information that I think is relevant about about myself. The, the lens that I'm going to be bringing to this letter writer, which is that my own father died about a year ago. We're almost exactly at the one-year anniversary of my father's death. And part of how I've been dealing with my feelings about the death of my father is by listening to the music that he loved. And it has been very therapeutic for me to do that, and it's been a way for me to feel closer to him, especially since I couldn't really be with him for the final year of his life at all. Um, so, or not the final year, but I didn't see much of him before he died because of COVID and, you know, he was on the East coast, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I completely empathize with someone who is, you know, we don't know how long ago this, the letter writer's husband's father died, but I completely empathize with trying to work through grief through listening to music. I feel like that is a legitimate thing that, you know, is a form of grief therapy for sure. Yeah. To me, this feels like a really straightforward logistical question. Your Mm -hmm. husband wants to make it an issue of the soul or of grief. And you don't have to be dismissive of that. Um, But I do think you can gently but firmly redirect, which is just, I love you. I want you to be able to listen to this band a lot. I need to have a daily cap on how much I hear this band every day. If that makes you feel like I don't love you or care about your process, let's talk about it. But I can assure you it doesn't. It just literally means there's a limit to how much I want to listen to this band on a daily basis. So headphones are going to have to come into play a little bit more often. They do make noise-canceling headphones that are really good now. Like for either for the letter writer or for her husband, you can, you know, you can have Anya playing on your headphones while the husband is listening to that band or, or vice versa. Yeah. And I think just to really, really stress, I don't want to take anything away from you about your process. I love that this music does so much for you. Um, and I I want to be able to listen to it with you. It sounds like already on a daily basis, um, but there are ways in which you are going to want and need more of it than I do. 
And so I'm just, I'm asking you to more often put on headphones or to be receptive when I ask you to do that. Now let's have a conversation about how that makes you feel so that we can get to a place where we can do that without you feeling every time, like I'm saying, stop thinking about your dead dad. Right. Because it seems like that's what's coming up for him. And I think you, I think you'll be able to address this. Um, And then, you know, if that's fraught sometimes, yeah, maybe you'll want to throw on the noise canceling headphones every once in a while. That seems like a reasonable accommodation too. Um, I, I, I get it. Like my relationship to music is often like, I'll wake up and I'll be like, I have one song I want to listen to today. I want to listen to it a thousand times. As soon as the song ends, my first feeling is, you know, it would be great right now. That song. Um, that's oh, absolutely no. You're a repeater. You're a song repeater. Mm-hmm. That's okay. That's actually not. That's not okay. That's I'm going to judge yeah. you. Like no, I'm real. A song I repeater got all kinds is, of diagnoses, is, baby. Oh my gosh. No, no, no. Song repeaters are the worst. Like you know. If, that's why I do headphones. Right. I would never want. You know, there have been days when I have listened to Steely Dan's My Old School while thinking about my father, from whom I am very estranged, and oh, about whom I have man. big powerful feelings um and i have listened to it for three or four hours in a row and it is their best I did that song with headphones in to be fair that is the <laughs> oh, best steely you. dance either that or dirty work those are the two best steely dance songs i think for sure and i have been definitely known to listen to my old school on heavy rotation you know i mean one thing i would say about this is as someone who listens to music obsessively i find that if you listen to the same music all the time it kind of becomes background noise in a way that like dampens its emotional effect and kind of makes it less meaningful. And so if the letter writer's husband is using that band, we're just going to assume it's Steely Dan, to process um, his grief, you know, one thing that you could say is it might be meaningful if we had times of day when we listened to that band or if we had contexts in which we listened to that band so that we could keep it a meaningful thing and not just like background noise. And not just like, you know, and have it be something that we kind of reserve for, you know, we listen to that band in the morning when we're getting ready for mm-hmm. our day. And like, that's a ritual, like build a ritual around it, you know? And then if you, my husband, want to listen to it at other, at other times, use some headphones or do it in your den or whatever. I guess my worry is if if the letter writer's husband is like going to use noise canceling headphones to listen to Steely Dan all the time. It might be an excuse for him to just sort of check out, be emotionally unavailable and be like, oh, sorry, did you need to talk to me? I was listening to Celia down on my noise canceling headphones 24-7. Um, and so that could backfire, I think. But at the same time, I think it's better than than everybody being kind of forced into this collective um Steely Dan spiral kind of. I think all of these are good options and suggestions. Having a separate conversation about the feelings and then about the music, coming up with a sort of pre-agreed limit or signal for one or either of us is going to put on headphones. How can we make sure that we do that in ways that don't feel to you like I'm saying, we're done thinking about your dad for the day. Right. Um, And yeah, just separating out like this has been meaningful for your grief. That's wonderful. It does not mean that this band is a representative of your father here on earth. Um. I think all that is possible. All of that can work. You don't have to have the same relationship to music in order to, you know, take care of one another and um, make sure that the house has like some input from other people and for like the kids to sometimes choose music and yeah. again, like ask your husband, like, 
what if like once a week or something, we ask the kids to pick music while we're all making dinner or something? Like what are ways in which you can also encourage other members of the family to use music as a sort of collective form of expression and sharing? That's not just my way and everybody else either gets on board or they don't care about me. Um, right. And one thing I would add is, you know, grief is complicated. Grief, you know, it's a whole process. It's, and I think that, you know, one thing that the letter writer could say to her husband is, hey, you know what? I would like to find other ways that we can commemorate your dad together. Like other things we can do besides listening to Steely Dan. Like, is there a place that he liked to go that we can go visit? Is there a thing that he liked? Did he like to fish? Did he like to, you know, cook? Are there other things that we can do to honor your dad besides listening to this one piece of music? Yep. And again, I say all that, uh, and then I just want to come back to you. You say he listens to it for roughly two-thirds of your waking hours. Absolutely makes a ton of sense that you're like, that's not working for me. It is not unreasonable. You're not being unsupportive. Um, it's too much, and that's okay. And and that's just why you need to have that conversation that's like, let's separate the question of how much are we listening to one band and how much time are we setting aside for helping you deal with your feelings. And if there are ways in which like listening to music a lot of the time just is like, a huge thing for him. What are ways that we can make sure that he can do so without having everyone else attend the same concert over and over again? And I say that as someone who's like, I don't ever want anyone to know like how many times I've played that thing you do from that thing you do on my phone. Oh my God. Wow. None of your business. It's none of your business, Charlie <laughs> Jane. <laughs> That's a deep cut. Get off my podcast. You go home. And, and by deep, I mean shallow. That's a shallow cut. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, yeah. I'm going to go listen to Steely Dan. I'm, I actually probably, my takeaway from this is that I'm going to go listen to Steely Dan. I haven't listened to them in quite some time. And, you know, they have, they have a number of songs that I actually quite like, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I wouldn't listen to them two thirds of every day. No. But, uh, I no, sure I do not. love much of their catalog. That's our mini episode of Dear Prudence for this week. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. As always, if you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR. That's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location. And at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short. 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. 